This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Thursday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am now joined by someone who also has their name in their podcast title. It's Chris Walter. Chris, good afternoon, sir. How are you? That took me a minute to comprehend. Yeah, my show is called the Walter Sportscast. Nice catch there. Went over my head, but I'm doing good today, man. How you doing? I am pretty good, man. Pretty good. You're doing the media circuit, so that's good. It's always good to be on the media circuit. I feel bad, Chris, because I think you're more um more available than myself you're you're more of a team player where like i decline just about every invite <laughs> well we are in a lockdown here in ontario so there's mm. not a lot going on these days so i'm stuck in my apartment and anyone who wants to podcast with me now would be the perfect time that's brutal the cdc just uh waived the mask mandate if you're fully vaccinated after two weeks like indoor outdoor and you're still on lockdown, sir. We're living in See, two different worlds. That, that's what I don't get, though. How are, How is anyone going to know who has been fully vaccinated, right? I just made a joke on Twitter. Are you going to have people wearing funny hats to distinguish themselves as fully vaccinated? Because this seems like the perfect opportunity for someone to lie. I think <laughs> I, I'm not equipped to answer that question, Chris. That is, <laughs> that is not uh, for me to answer. But I will say that it just seems more like uh we're <laughs> we're tossing our hands up um because like i'm i live in tennessee and i live in the south and there's different perspectives and it's funny to see the different perspectives on twitter um clearly from people that live in different parts of the country that are not uh all that aware of how the other parts of the country sees it and is handling it <laughs> it's just interesting mm-hmm. like uh, i'm sure your experience over the last year is very different than my personal experience with everything but um yeah i don't know i'm getting I just, my uh, i'm getting my first shot uh, on uh, thursday of next cool. week so i'm excited about that very nice very nice um well hopefully you guys open up soon and uh you all stay safe out in across the border um so that we can uh, get some more inter uh i don't even know how how it would frame this um just the open up the border for sports i don't know what we call it like crossing the border so we can uh, get toronto <laughs> the Raptors back home, get the Blue Jays back home. And it'd be great if your Blue Jays stopped uh, beating my Atlanta Braves. That would be very nice. Um, but, Chris, we are not going to talk about that on this podcast. We are going to talk about professional wrestling. And whew, wrestling, it's going back on the road very soon. We're getting double or nothing at full capacity at the end of this month that we'll talk about in a little bit. But are you excited? Because I was thinking about this when I was watching this show last night, AEW Dynamite, and I was like, man, I really am just going to be, like, the, the level of enthusiasm I'm going to have about seeing just fans back at all of these shows because it has been hard 
over the last year to stay engaged. Um, I think Daly's Place did the best job by far. Um, but like, I am just going to be so relieved to get out of the Thunderdome, to get out of um, <laughs> where Nashville, where Impact's filmed, and just to see all the crowds again. Because I just pro wrestling's kind of different than like basketball i really don't even notice like a regular season basketball game i really haven't noticed i don't know if you've been like that for the raptors but it doesn't really pop up my radar my level of enjoyment but pro wrestling has just been different and uh i'm just i'm really excited that we're it's not gonna be a one-off like wrestlemania like we're we're going back to that and we're actually gonna see fans uh get excited again what about you Part of me is excited. There's a level of me which is anxious as well. I mean, I am from Canada. I'm here in Ontario where we are stuck in this lockdown and the mask rules are still being enforced. Uh, you and I talked prior to recording about the, uh, again, like the CDC lowering the mask mandates and whatnot. And even watching AEW Dynamite last night, a lot of fans in attendance not wearing their mask. And it's something that I'm not used to here north of the border but part of me is really excited i mean it's been too long that we haven't had full attendance for wrestling shows and wrestling fans really make the programs that they're a part of you know the the live reactions whether it's good or bad and having that for aew again is going to be such an improvement for that product i've, I've grown accustomed to seeing the wrestlers uh along the sides of the ring there cheering and they've been a, a much needed asset to that program but nothing beats the authentic feel of a live audience so i think double or nothing it's going to really bring a lot to that show it's just a matter of keeping everyone safe but so far so good for aew at daly's place there hasn't really been a massive outbreak yet knock on wood of course well they haven't been hanging out with the new york yankees it seems like which is good yeah not taking their johnson and johnson right <laughs> um this week's aew dynamite episode i want to start here uh who are your winners and who are your losers coming out of this show Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, uh, the obvious winner would be Miro. I mm -hmm. really like that main event with Darby Allen. I, I was expecting a squash, to be honest. But when that main event started, I was like, wow, we're actually going to get a decent 15 to 20 minutes out of these two. And I think you can make a, a really good argument that that was Miro's best singles match of his entire career. And I mean, it was kind of unfortunate because he wore tights to the ring, which pretty much signified that he was going to win the TNT championship. But that didn't ruin the moment for me. I think... A loser of that show is not actually a person in particular. I think it was just the the camera work and the decision making behind some of the moments on that show. One being when Miro won the championship that they basically cut to Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky attacking Sting right after and then the Dark Order coming out. It kind of you know, dampered the moment of Miro becoming a singles champion. They they just cut away from it so quickly. And then we saw that again earlier in the show when SEU disbanded. A fantastic match. Christopher Daniels bleeding like a stuffed pig. But as soon as that match was over, they cut back to the locker room where John Moxley and Eddie Kingston were destroying the Young Bucks and, you know, Gallows and Anderson stuff. So I wish they kind of just let those men, those moments simmer a little bit. We've seen Daniels and Kazarian team for so long. This was Miro's first championship win. Why not let those moments breathe? I thought that was kind of poor decision making on AEW's part, but for the most part, I really enjoyed that show. It was a stacked show from start to finish. I really enjoyed Yuji Nagata coming over, the forbidden door being opened with New Japan Pro Wrestling, John Moxley coming out to Wild Thing, which I didn't see coming at all. I really like the licensed music being involved for AEW. So a really strong show, but just little things like that can can really impact the enjoyment for me hmm. i didn't notice the miro camera work i actually wrote down in my notes uh, uh the seu thing where i thought they really did a disservice there 
um, doing like a recap um, of yeah. them hugging after. Like that was, I thought, a bad look and a mess up on their part. Also, wasn't there some audio issues? Like I thought I was like losing my, like when uh, the Young Bucks challenged Eddie and Moxley to yeah. their, th- that was weird, right? What was going on there in that room? Like, I don't know if I, you had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a TNT problem. I don't think mm. that's AEW because that's been a recurring thing for the program is that not a lot of people can can hear certain moments in backstage segments. I mean, that's unfortunate because this was a taped show, I believe. So those really shouldn't be a problem. But yeah, I mean, even with some of the entrances as well, I, I wish the entrance music was louder. Like when, yeah. for like John Moxley, for example, you can make out that it was Wild Thing. But the audio needed to be upped up for for that especially because I thought that was such a cool moment. Same with Yuji Nagata as well. These audio issues are starting to stack up, and I'm surprised that nothing substantial has been done to improve that. Do you prefer Wild Thing over his previous theme? It's going to take some getting used to. I love Wild Thing as a song. Uh, again, if you play a song long enough and you just start to associate it with a professional wrestler, I think it'll just go hand and foot. So I think over time, I'll get used to John Moxley and Wild Thing going, you know, together in that regard. But I really did enjoy his last entrance. It, it kind of fit the more grittier grind grind of his character. But this is still cool as well. I love licensed music being used, and the same goes for Orange Cassidy too. Who do you prefer more? Because I think it, his fits more than Wild Thing for Moxley, and I think part of it too is like I'm a big stickler for the first two like moments of a song. So like when Moxley mm-hmm. hits the the crowd because he's getting called out, like you need that kind of glass shattering type thing. And I understand not everybody can have that, but I don't know. Like <laughs> the intro to Wild Thing is not exactly something where you're like, oh, it's John Moxley. But when you had his old entrance, it was not a chainsaw but that's what it kind of sounded like to me when i listened to it of just like oh there's mox and it uh had that same kind of hype feel but um (laughs) i don't know it kind of reminds me of when punk got cult of personality but yeah the difference is the beginning of that song is the guitar riff like you know like there is something about the beginning of that song and also that company does a better job of like blasting their music than uh, this company so you can hear clearly but I'm, I'm glad i'm not alone and not being able to fully hear and understand like certain songs and um i don't know like cody's new theme uh when mm-hmm. it starts playing i'm just like i have no idea what his new theme like they're saying at all uh, well i don't think it's a, a coincidence at all that they changed john moxley's entrance just weeks prior to double or nothing i mm-hmm. think they want a lot of fan interaction yeah and fans singing wild thing or fans singing orange cassidy's song or maybe jungle boy if he's on the card judas mm-hmm. as well for chris jericho i think they just kind of wanted to get that off the ground a couple of weeks prior so people know that wild thing is coming and when that tag team title match comes at double or nothing i think you're going to see a lot of fans singing along did you like the Yuki Nagata match with Moxie? I thought it was good. Loved it. I, it wasn't the best match I've ever seen, but again, Yuji Nagata as a 53-year-old. I think it was just cool seeing him in AEW ring, Ren Narita there as well. Uh, I hope we get to see more New Japan talent mm-hmm. getting incorporated into AEW. Obviously, the problems with the travel restrictions and whatnot, and maybe we won't see as many performers as we'd like, but... When, you know, Kenta originally came over to AEW, that opened the the possibilities. Like, what dream matches can we see in, in AEW and possibly, you know, some of the talent going over to Japan, maybe taking part in the G1. So I think Yuji Nagata was a good start. It was nice to see the United States Championship 
being held in high regard. I think it was a really cool moment when those two were bowing to each other and showing respect. It didn't need to be incorporated into two in, into like an AEW storyline. I think it was just a special moment for the hardcore wrestling fans out there, a lot of whom do follow AEW on a regular basis. Yeah, and it's pretty amazing what he's doing at 53. I thought it it uh, it was fine. I thought his fake drop uh, dropkick spot was cool. Uh, Mox really mm-hmm. did sell for him hard, though. That was something I'd written down. It was just like Mox is really selling hard for this 53-year-old man. Um, who, Absolutely. Who's struggling to move, which, look, he's 53, but he was pretty stiff, pretty stiff. And pro wrestling fans who are listening to this podcast, don't give me hate. It's just something I wrote down. He was just kind of kind of slow. Just, it's just kind of <laughs> what it is. And also Moxley was your longest AEW world champion, so you want to keep him strong. And that's also kind of what AEW does. That's kind of like, I thought it was interesting that you uh, perceived a squash coming for Miro and Darby Allen, which is that, like, they don't usually do squashes. I mean, Thunder Rosa won in a squash before that match, but um, squashes are not as prominent in AEW as they are in other companies, I would say. Well, it wasn't out of the realm of possibility. I mean, lest mm-hmm. we forget that the the late Brody Lee, when he won the TNT Championship, that was essentially mm. a squash of Cody. And last week, too, with Paige and Scorpio Sky tossing Darby Allen down the stairs, and they built it up over the course of the week that if Darby is unable to compete, that he would forfeit the title to Miro. So you at least had that lingering in the back of your mind that Darby Allen isn't at 100%, and maybe he will get squashed by Miro. But I was very pleasantly surprised with the quality of that match. I never undersell a Darby Allen match because I think he's one of the best performers in that company. Miro really needed a strong showing, and I'm excited to see what he does with the TNT title. It does look like Lance Archer will be his first challenger at Double or Nothing. Which I'm excited about. They're going to they're gonna be good. Um, Double or Nothing is just to release that card. Is there um, a match that you're most looking forward to at this moment that's been booked? Uh, I'm really excited for Standium Stampede. I think mm. they're going to try and take the comedic elements out of it. Obviously, the last time we saw it with um, the broken Matt Hardy character, there was a lot of fun stuff that they could do. I think this is a more serious feud that deserves a more serious tone. I was curious if Santana was uh, legitimately injured. They, they played it off in storyline that he attacked MJF with the fork during the blood and guts match and he was simply arrested and, and away for that but he it looks like Meltzer reported that he was sick so they're just trying to keep him safe so I expect him to be there for stadium stampede this is obviously one of the last times they can even do it if they're going back on the road so I'm happy they're doing that I think the main event is going to be really good with Orange Cassidy and and Pac and Kenny Omega I've kind of been opposed in the past to triple threat matches for the world championship I like the straight one-on-one match I think New Japan got a lot of heat in the past when they did Omega and Ibushi and Cody. And since then, they've cut, tried to just stick with one-on-one matches. I don't like the idea of someone pinning someone else besides the champion to, to win the championship. Although I think it's a safe estimation that Kenny Omega is going to retain here. I just hope they don't lean on the triple threat trope too much. That seems very WWE, especially the way they got to that match on Dynamite. Obviously, you can't account for an injury. It looks like Orange Cassidy was legitimate knocked out and they kind of used the wwe trope of well no one won the match so i guess i'm not facing anybody on the card and oh wait the the boss or the announcer comes out and says i have to face both of them well for crying out loud but it's orange cassidy it's Pac, it's kenny omega three really strong characters three really strong workers i didn't know where they were heading with this aew title match i thought adam page with him being the number one ranked guy for so long but that that would have been a quick rush to get to that match so i'm looking forward to that main event and and again the crowd reaction is really going to help i think they're saving page omega 
for down the line. I think that's still probably the end game here. Um, yes. To get the title off Omega, but I think they're they're in no rush. Um, and also, we we know that a triple threat between these three are gonna be very good. It's gonna be a very good match. I'm surprised that they're actually going back to Hangman and Brian Cage. Mm. Uh, you don't see a lot of rematches. No. A lot, at least that quickly. But uh, again, you can play the the you know Team Taz attacked Page before that match, and it cost him his number one ranking. And again, I'm not going to complain that we're getting Adam Page and Brian Cage again, at least with a longer match. I think their first one only went six or seven minutes. So it's a nice undercard match for the pay-per-view. The Cody promo was pretty divisive last night. Yeah. What did you think of it? Not a fan. No. I think it's 2021. I think the noble American versus the evil foreigner has is a trope that's been done to death, uh, especially during these times with the country and the, the state and the peril that it's in with, you know, Black Lives Matter and politics running rampant, Republicans versus Democrats and whatnot. I mean, it was an impassioned promo. You can always count on Cody to kind of tug at your heartstrings. And I think the American dream part was a nice touch. And I'm curious to see the layout of that match, especially with Anthony Agogo, who hasn't had many professional wrestling matches. But I wish they would have just taken that story in a different direction. It didn't have to be American versus foreigner. I mean, you already have the Nightmare family versus the the factory as a, a faction versus faction feud. And Cody trying to go through all of those guys. I think they should have just stuck with that and let the wrestling take care of itself. I get the idea behind it. It was one of those promos where it started off where I'm writing down, oh, no, he has no idea where he wants to go with this, to, okay, the American Dream stuff, that really popped, and obviously the people there popped for the majority of this promo. And, I mean, he had some really, really corny lines in this, let me say. Yeah. Quote, that's freedom, that's America. And then here's the other one. Quote, our empathy outweighs anger. Um, <laughs> all he had to do was I got up off my ass and fought back because that could really just be the story here. Like he could have just done that of like I'm an American dream. Like you can do all this, but like bring it back to his dad and things like that. Like that's where this was going, and that was a good pop. And for one night only, like it was, this was all a great way to build into that. But it was the last two minutes of that promo. It was just yeah. uh, it was just a little little hokey for my taste. But also I don't know. I I would be curious to know how that was received by the majority of the AW audience because um, how I take something may not be uh, accurate uh, or may not be a great representation for the demographic as a whole. Um, the last thing I wanted to touch on with this, because um, I thought the pinnacle uh, inner circle stuff was fine. I think that's going to be good. And we touched on that, but like the last thing I want to touch on was SCU and young bucks. And now this is it for SCU. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought this match was the match of the night. I thought this was an absolute banger. I Did you think it was too inside pro wrestling for Matt Jackson to do the HBK Ric Flair spot? Because I thought it was hilarious. And I no. very much enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I love that very much. Again, like I said earlier, I think a lot of hardcore wrestling fans tune into Dynamite on a weekly basis. So I think that moment didn't go over a lot of people's heads. If it was the finish, I would have been actually like genuinely surprised. But it was just a cool moment in the match. Just like... Frankie Kazarian, for example, giving the Styles Clash in front of Gallows and Anderson. I thought that was a lot of fun. Again, I'm with you. I really loved Darby Allen and Miro, but this tag team title match, 
was definitely the match of the night. Again, the only problem was is that they didn't let that moment simmer because with Kazarian and Daniels teaming together as long as they have, they cut back after the commercial and and showed them hugging. I wouldn't be opposed. I think we saw Daniels on Twitter saying that this might be it, so that might have been his last match altogether. But I'm kind of crossing my fingers that maybe we'll get Daniels versus Kazarian at double or nothing as kind of Daniels send off. It doesn't have to be a heel versus babyface dynamic. It's just two guys who have teamed forever. Daniels announcing that it is his last match. Yeah, and he's going to be a great producer backstage, and he's had a great long career, and this was a good ending for them. Um, Kazarian, I feel like has gotten better as he's gotten older. That dude is good. Kazarian, was, agreed. He is just really, really great, and he. He had some really good stuff in this match. Um, like the Styles Clash at Doc was also awesome. Like just looking right at him <laughs> doing that, and it, it, the double pin spot I thought was really good. Um, I don't know. This match was just great. The Young Bucks are awesome. The uh, SEU is awesome. So I hope Kazarian gets something fun to do because um, I think he's a really talented hand and could could be important. Maybe you tag him up with uh, Christian Cage. Maybe that's what you do. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's what you do. Basically. Christian Cage uh, seems preoccupied with the Casino Battle Royal, which I honestly think he's going to win. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure who the Joker is or whoever that uh, the wild card that they have. Maybe it's a surprise or whatnot. But Christian definitely seems like the favorite there. I hope Kazarian isn't forgotten about. Like you said, he's just like a steady hand who he can throw out there with pretty much everybody and have a really solid match. Again, I really hope he does have a, a one-on-one with Daniels. I think it would be a nice addition to Double or Nothing. But I've been an SCU fan for a while, even dating back to their days and impact i thought they had a lot of good work there i think this is a really good send-off for those two i didn't expect daniels to to bleed as much as he did but again when you're going against the young bucks you know it's going to be a really strong match and i'm really enjoying what they're doing with their heel work as of late i think they're really embracing this cocky new attitude of theirs and i think working with with gallows and anderson by their side i think they can really embrace that so again looking forward to their match with moxley and kingston at double or nothing a sleeper for match of the night yeah i i don't disagree i don't disagree um some other non aw notes uh, i want to touch on chris um Zelina vega looks like she's back friend of the pod sean rossap breaking this for fightful um this is good Zelina vega is good and it looks like alistair black's not going anywhere with his new character on smackdown um mm-hmm. I'm I'm here for this. Are you? Um, I'm actually kind of surprised. I figured she was going to end up maybe with Impact, uh, a very underrated women's division, or possibly an AEW. Uh, WWE should have never let her go in the first place. I mean, she was the the glue that kept you know Andrade and Angel Garza uh, together. I think having her as the voice was a really strong idea. Um, the fact that she's back in WWE is just, you know, they learn from their mistake, hopefully, and they could hopefully do something with her. I think her work in the ring is actually very underrated. She did have a pretty strong match with Asuka prior to her release, and I hope that they actually utilize her in some capacity. I don't expect her to be working with Aleister Black anytime soon, but, you know, keep her on Raw or SmackDown, bolster one of those divisions, and uh, let her shine like she should. Yeah, I... I... I think so. And Impact does have the best women's division in pro wrestling. It's not even really close, I don't think. <laughs> um, shout out to them for re-signing Jordan Grace, too, by the way. It's also very yes. good. Um, what do you think is the end goal with Aleister Black on SmackDown? Who do you think he's feuding with first? 
That's a good question. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying. I'm like running through the baby faces right now because uh, he's obviously a heel. I mean, Big E maybe a, a Kevin Owens. I think they're going towards like a, a fatal four way with Apollo, Big E, Owens, and Zayn at the pay per view for the IC title. But after that, it's anyone's guess. I mean, SmackDown. They got a few baby faces there. No longer Daniel Bryan. I don't know what the hell's going on with that. If he's if he's still going to be with the company, but Aleister Black again. I just he's one of those guys who it's a damn shame that he hasn't been utilized a lot over the last year because I think he is one of the best between the ropes performers that WWE has. I think they were just trying to find a character or at least a version of the character that he had that they can really move into the main event scene and i think this character is it he's you know i like him being in those darkened rooms there's a little bit more of an atmosphere now with his promos i think they make a little more sense uh which is nice before it was just kind of drivel in my opinion but now i really hope that alistair black is someone that they're seriously investing in because i think that it was a, a again a shame that we weren't seeing him more on television in recent months yeah i I'm excited. I'm just glad he's sticking around because I enjoy Oster Black. And also, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, let's see what he does outside. And like, no, there's nowhere else. There's no room. Like, AEW's full. It's like Atlanta. Yep. Atlanta's full. Stop moving there. Um, <laughs> AEW is full. Stop moving over there. Um, Raw needs help. I don't know if you've seen the world title division on Monday Night Raw, but it is. Um, let me check my notes here. The absolute shits because we've got uh, Bobby Lashley without the hurt business which just mm-hmm. i could go on and on about how much of a disaster decision that was creatively to just break them up and no one's better off for it um true mcintyre and then just the most boring of boring characters and braun Strowman. um how would you rate adnan verk's uh time on monday night raw thus far uh, i want to be careful with what i say because he's a, a good friend of one of my good friends john mm. chick and uh well, no, this but is no personal we could always no i know all, but none of this is personal like none of our critiques and our criticisms it's just commentary and it's just our our silly opinions we don't it it, it we don't mean uh to be harsh like braun Strowman, you as a person i don't know you all i know is i don't enjoy your work at top of the world title like that's that, that it's just your job I, I don't know i i guess this is just part of our jobs is there has to be some level of commentary it's just not vicious or mean-spirited it's just uh my perspective on it well, when it comes to Adnan Verk, he's exactly where I expected him to be. He mm-hmm. didn't have a wrestling background. It's it's kind of like when Renee Young was behind the desk as yeah. well. It's like, okay, she had a little bit more of a base knowledge than Adnan Verk does, but it was definitely an adjustment period. And I think a lot of people were expecting someone with the sports broadcasting background that Adnan Verk has to just come in and be like a seamless fit and be one of the best broadcasters for the company. But that has been anything but the case i think he's trying a little too hard to appease a certain audience and i think he just needs to be more relaxed i think he definitely needs to do a little bit more research about the product that he's covering but again how much of that is his fault i think he was thrust into a lose-lose situation he's working on the fly he's learning on the fly he has two solid broadcasters next to him but i think you know expecting the world of him this early on is is not fair to him i think wrestling fans need to be a little bit more patient with him but the problem is wrestling fans are never patient i think he's fine and like you said it's new it's going to take a lot of time it just i'm wondering if he's going to get the time you know what i mean like phillips didn't really get the time and the guy before him who's not a better comparison i think is vic joseph or like remember the the grand carpet with him uh dio madden and was it jerry lawler 
that feels like nine commentary boosts ago, but they pulled the plug on it and I I don't know. We'll we'll see. I think it's smart to pair Byron and Corey back together because I never really understood breaking them up because I think they have a natural chemistry back and forth and their natural um, animosity just plays right. out well on commentary. But I think Adnan's fine. I just think he's not someone who is going to be uh, calling out spots. You know what I mean? Where it's just going to feel genuine. Like Adnan doesn't feel genuine yet. Does that make sense? Where he just doesn't, it, it, you can tell he has not been yeah. fully invested in the WWE product for the last 10 to 15 years. Like he's not been someone who's been uh, all that familiar with all these guys work. Like he's not going to tell you anything about Ricochet. If he ever reappears on Monday Night Raw, like he's not going to have any court, any kind of perspective on that. And that's not his fault. He's a busy guy and he does other stuff. He does cinephile. He does that. Um, but the GM shuffle with uh, Michael Lombardi, he's a busy guy. He's on TV. He's on been with ESPN. Like he just family guy. Like I, I don't think it's fair to expect him to like be, all that aware and i'm sure he's doing his homework and catching up as fast as he can i i'm imagining like it's very overwhelming to be thrust into that kind of role and to just be expected to know all these different people and know all their histories and all that kind of stuff um i i don't envy the spot that he's in at the moment so i hope hope for the best well there's a reason that pat mcafee's transition has been a lot smoother because we all know that he is a a wrestling fan right he has been for quite some time and then Verk, he's he's going from baseball to professional wrestling he mm-hmm. said he didn't want he hasn't watched wrestling in years maybe since the attitude era and you know he has his notes he he's probably watched as much television as possible to try and catch up on the characters but it's not just the characters it's the moves it's the storylines it's everything in between and he will get there he's he's a very talented guy but again wrestling fans expect a lot very quickly and i think they just need to express some level of patience with him and it's a it's a shame too because i was actually a tom phillips guy i i really think he's one of the more underrated announcers in the business today and i recently reached out to him on twitter because he was posting some cryptic tweets about perhaps his uh how he was disgruntled with the current situation being demoted essentially from monday night raw to i think he's on 205 live now i'm not exactly sure but you know, he hit me up in my DMs and, you know, much appreciated. Things always work out in the end. So I hope uh, he, he ends up in, in, in a much better spot because I think, you know, with that Anver coming in and him getting bumped out, I hope to see him again on a, a major wrestling broadcast anyway, one that people actually watch. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone's experienced the pain of dropped calls and internet outages, especially working remotely this last year. So here's the question. If you're the telco company, how do you help create better experiences for customers? Simple. ServiceNow digital workflows can help solve network problems faster and provide real-time status updates so customers aren't left in the dark. That's probably why ServiceNow workflows have helped telco companies see an increase in customer satisfaction. But proactive customer communications only half the battle. With a single view of your back, middle, and front office operations, ServiceNow workflows also eliminate silos, keeping teams more in sync and more productive. With our scalable services, companies assure a better experience for both customers and employees on a single platform, the Now Platform. 
So how do you help provide a better network experience for customers? With ServiceNow for telecommunications to help streamline network operations. Whatever your business is facing, let's workflow it. ServiceNow. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, I like Philips too. I, I don't I don't uh, dislike him. I I wish Marinello was the the full time impact guy. Like yeah. that would be a delight if he he would make those Thursday night shows. It was nice to see him on the Impact uh, main event there with right. Swan and Omega. It was really good hearing his voice again. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't dislike. He's a very. Uh, there's people who either really like Morrow and the people that are just like I can't. It's too over the top. It's interesting. Which one, <laughs> which side of the fence are you on with when it comes to Mar Ronaldo's commentary? I'm a Mar Ronaldo stan. Love yeah. his work. I dig his enthusiasm. Yeah, it's fun, it's and it also feels genuine. He feels genuine. Absolutely. Which is all I really want out of a play-by-play guy. And that's also why exactly. Pat McAfee's awesome. It's because it comes off as genuine. Um, the NXT ratings continue to slip. Are you nervous about the future of NXT? A little bit because there's no excuses now. I mean, that last rating was pretty bad because they were not going up against much competition mm-hmm. outside of a pretty strong NBA rating. Uh, I don't know which game it was that, that bumped them down a lot. But NXT is kind of a hit or miss with me uh i'm actually surprised that this rating was bad because they had a lot of championship matches uh the, you know they had that cruiserweight title two out of three falls they had um gonzalez versus martinez for the women's championship and uh yeah i don't know what nxt can kind of do to dig themselves out of this hole uh i'm interested i guess when carrying cross is your world champion i don't find him uh interesting uh, compared to like a finn balor or, or whoever else it could be like a kyle o'reilly adam cole pete dunn for example so i don't know how much to look into these nxt ratings i don't know if it's a one-off or it's a trend that they need to be a little bit concerned about but now that they're on tuesdays and not wednesdays you can't fall back on well the wrestling audience was split and AEW took a majority of their audience like that's no longer the case so if this is something that we see over the next coming weeks then i think we're going to see some pretty substantial changes move them to youtube that's what i'm here for Let's get the AW Dark and Dark Evolution thing going. That's my dream, is taking him off so I don't have to watch it anymore. Don't keep up with it. Take away all the titles. Um, put NXT UK on YouTube. Put 205 Live on YouTube. Put Main Event on YouTube. Just have your little mini shows. And then have all those guys be able to pop up on Raw and pop up on SmackDown when they have something for right. them. That would be my, my dream scenario. I mean, that's kind of what they did with Mansoor, who's been like wrestling on 205 Live for the last 17 years. And he got called up to uh, Monday Night Raw. So we'll he was what four. Happened. Was it? What was the news story? Mansoor was like forty nine and zero yeah. in his last forty nine matches, and then he lost on Raw. I'm it's like, incredible. how fitting! Incredible. Um, Keith Lee is reportedly okay, just not being used. Don't really understand that, but that came from uh, Meltzer. What What do you think about Keith Lee and his status? Don't get that at all. I thought it was an injury for the yeah. longest time. I thought it was like maybe he had a concussion or something or a serious injury, but it just sounds like they're not utilizing him. And on Monday Night Raw, when you have three hours of television every single week, you can't find time for Keith Lee, the guy that was built up as this you know destructive force on NXT. He was your world champion. He combined it with the North American Championship. He's such an exceptional talker. And a guy at his size who could move that way in the ring, I mean, there's really no excuse for him not being used on Raw these days. And I'm surprised. I'm looking forward to the tell-all story when his career is over about what the hell happened during this stretch because again no excuse for not using keith lee no uh but at least they're using die 
um, a little bit here. Get Ricochet oh, boy, and Gustav yeah. Ali back over there. I don't know. Raw has some potential. I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll see. Uh, they just need to reshuffle that uh, main event scene. Just uh, an absolute nightmare. Because I wrote about it uh, this week, uh, or I guess it was last week, that their tag team division is actually low-key getting a little stacked. Like, I actually am very in on uh, their tag team division, which was not the case six months ago. And AJ and uh, Omos are just a delight. So I very much enjoy that. And also, New Day might be the best promo tag team in professional wrestling, I think. Uh, Can you name three other teams in the Raw tag team division? Yes. Elias and um, Jackson Riker. You got mm-hmm. that. Um, you got oh, Lucha RK House bro. Party. You got... Um, oh, and Riddle Bro. Yeah. RK Bro. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I look silly now. Yeah, so there are there are some actual tag teams. It's there just really a matter are. of... Yeah, they could do something with it if they want to. Oh, Miz and Morrison too, obviously. Um, yeah. Last thing, and we'll wrap up here, Chris. WrestleMania Backlash predictions. Do you know how this is going to go? And also... When did they decide to start calling this WrestleMania Backlash? Oh, this year. This was the first year they're doing it. I well, guess I mean, they just they want the WrestleMania the branding. Okay. No. Uh, it's probably well, smart, honestly, to just keep that going and have WrestleMania. It's, it seems deceitful <laughs> to have WrestleMania and the logo <laughs> above the backlash of, like, this is WrestleMania to, like, the casual fans are like, is this another WrestleMania? Like, I I don't know if that's a Peacock thing. of like, hey, go ahead and if you can uh, get WrestleMania in the in the title, that'd be great. It's like WrestleMania SummerSlam. Um, well, what was last year? Wasn't Backlash, like, the greatest wrestling match ever or something? Was that the one in Saudi Arabia? No. No, Orton and Edge, right? Oh At the Performance gosh. Center? Yeah, that's what it was. Uh, the greatest yeah. wrestling match of all time, yeah. Um, well, when you look at this card. Mm-hmm. We got Damian Priest versus The Miz for the 19th time. In a lumberjack match. Yeah. Oh, boy. Of all the stipulations to pick in the world, lumberjack yeah, match. Um, yeah, not looking forward to it. I'm going, I think, Damian Priest. I mean, they have to do something with him. I think for them to go over at WrestleMania with Bad Bunny, I mean, they obviously have some sort of plans, I would think, with Priest. And Miz is kind of untouchable in the sense that he can lose every match that he's a part of and he'll still be one of the top heels on monday night raw so he can afford a loss especially since priest took the stipula or picked the stipulation so uh yeah i'm going with priest i think it's gonna be miss he's lost too many times to priest they're gonna do the classic oh we got him over after all of that after priest won 19 times he loses the big one here that seems very <laughs> vince mcmahon booking fantastic um roman versus asaro i think we can go and pencil in roman reigns uh, yeah a uh, safe pick i love cesaro my swiss boy uh you know my swiss brother but again i'm I'm happy to, that he's getting this opportunity i don't think it's going to be the last time we see reigns and cesaro i think you can kind of carry this over to perhaps the pay-per-view after this but going to be a really strong match but roman reigns is untouchable right now and not in the mid sense where he can afford a loss i mean like he is not losing maybe until wrestlemania next year yeah the dirty dogs against the mysterious i'm actually very hyped for this i think this will be good uh yeah mysterios will probably win the titles Mm. how many people know that the dirty dogs are even the champions right now i hope everybody because they're great i love the dirty dogs like Dolph and rude are good also rude's just meant to be a good tag team guy i I enjoyed them both this is where they belong in the they don't even call them the dirty dogs during the broadcast they just call them rude and ziggler yeah i don't like that they need to they need to do that The, the on this podcast we refer to them as the dirty dogs as they are Awesome. Um, <laughs> what match will stink for sure. And it's not because these three performers are not talented. It's because Rhea Ripley 
and Asuka had the worst chemistry of two talented people I've ever seen in professional wrestling. And I feel bad for both of them. They keep getting thrown into this. I think Charlotte's just been money and been on fire <laughs> promo wise the last few weeks. Yeah. Very much enjoyed her work and this character from her. But I am not here for this match, but I am here for how it ends because I think Flair is walking out with the title here. What do you think? I agree with you, which is surprising because Ripley just won it mm. at WrestleMania. But again, I think some of those matches with with Asuka and Ripley have been really poor, which is surprising. I mean, you can have two really strong wrestlers mm. that just don't click. Right. And Ripley and Asuka are the personification of that. And I think Charlotte, the, with the way that they're pushing her as not like not only just one of the top heels in the division, but one of the top heels on Raw these days, her alliance with um, Sonya Deville, Maybe something will come of that, and they do seem to be leaning. I think a, a lot of people were hinting that it was it was um, Shayna Baszler and Alexa Bliss that's going to be the next program. I think it's going to be Flair and Alexa Bliss, and I think mm. they probably want to put the title on Flair. They want to get her up to those 16 reigns and make that like the marquee program for the women's division, Bliss versus Flair. So, yeah, I see Flair winning, actually. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, did you love the mind control from Bliss this week? On uh, just messing leg. with uh, Baszler's legs. And mm-hmm. Baszler is probably going to look back at this and be like, what the frig am I doing? I'm feigning a knee injury because this woman is up there in pigtails with her creepy ass doll and uh, doing voodoo on me. Like, Jesus Christ. Baszler, if, there, if there's anyone that WWE has dropped the ball with, I mean, my God, the number they've done on Shayna Baszler. Yeah. I mean, I I would just like take a fine and refuse to work with Nia Jax personally. Yeah, it's never a good thing when uh, you're aligned with Jax for that long. No, no. Uh, the final two, Bianca Belair versus Bailey. This is going to be a banger. Belair is not going to lose this match, but I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited for this. Yeah, Belair is definitely going to retain. Uh, it's nice to see Bailey back in the the women's title picture Mm -hmm. uh, a travesty that she wasn't on the wrestlemania card and she was just basically getting jobbed out to the bellas during a a non-consequential segment um but this should be really good um her and and bel-air on the pay-per-view uh bel-air i think they have a lot of really big plans for so no reason to take the title off her just yet no the final match i think i would have picked a different way for this to end if it was in front of fans but this will be at the thunderdome um lashley versus mcintyre versus Strowman. i have lashley retaining by pinning Strowman here in a weird way but uh i think they're saving mcintyre's return to uh being champion for SummerSlam. would be my guess what do you think uh i i have lashley retaining i have him pinning mcintyre actually because i think hmm. they're gonna turn to a i mean I hate it, but Lashley versus Strowman program. Yeah. They did actually have some pretty nice chemistry uh, when they were wrestling each other a few years ago, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think McIntyre right now, you just kind of need to get him away from the world championship picture. But there's just not a lot of people on Raw that you can consider a capable world championship contender right now. So maybe they'll have McIntyre stick around. Maybe they'll do something at SummerSlam. But I think Drew does take the pin and then they switch over to Strowman and Lashley. Uh, again, just another example of the championship run is still very fresh. And I think Lashley deserves uh, a respectable run, to say the least. I, when it comes to SummerSlam, I don't know. I, a, a lot of people are still pining for like a Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley match. I think when Lesnar returns, he'll probably be on SmackDown. But I'm not ruling that out 
all together with SummerSlam being in front of a live audience. And maybe they do do uh, Lashley and Lesnar. But for now, uh, I just need to get through this triple threat at WrestleMania Backlash because it's not going to be the prettiest uh, triple threat we've ever seen. I'm going to guess they do Lashley, Lesnar, McIntyre at SummerSlam. Okay. So you do actually see him ending up on Raw, eh? I do. Okay. Just keep him away from Roman and Heyman? Yeah, because I think that's probably what they'll do until they really have to put those two back together. I don't think they're going to rush that. And Raw needs the help, let's be honest. Raw SmackDown is fine. Raw needs the help. Um, he never competed on Raw, right? Like, he still has never competed on an episode of... Who, Brock? His return? Um, he probably has in, like, a squash or something, but uh, nothing so. that... I could, mistaken, yeah, could be right. I don't think he's actually had an actual match on Monday Night Raw since he came back and F5'd uh, John Cena. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think that's that's happened, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Uh, Chris Walder, what can we check out from you across the internet this week? And both <laughs> audio and writing-wise, what, what would you like to plug as we wrap up here this afternoon? Well, check out my podcast, The Walder Sportscast. You know, find it wherever you download your shows. I, I just recorded an interview today with William Liu, who's a Toronto Raptors beat reporter for Yahoo Sports Canada. And I got another interview coming up next week with Wendy Sparks, who is the mother of Toronto Raptors center Ken Birch. And she hmm. also hosts her own podcast called Courtside Moms, where she interviews mothers of NBA players from around the league. So definitely looking forward to to chatting it up with her so i got a lot of stuff on the horizon i just secured a uh, sponsorship as well with manscaped mm. who is sponsoring the uh the walder sportscast so i'm excited to see where that relationship takes me and again man we're in the still in the midst of this pandemic i know you guys up in the states are a little bit ahead of us but here in ontario we're still on a lockdown so i'm keeping this podcast afloat and i hope you all check it out all right well keep up the great work sir and stay safe out there my friend um we will we'll check back in again on some pro wrestling very soon thanks chris thanks for having me man all right it is thursday evening so you know what that means it's college football on the chase thomas podcast i'm still the a4 mentioned chase thomas and i'm joined by fellow University of North <coughs> Georgia alumni Matt Green down there in Decula, Georgia. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. I'm uh, glad to be back after our uh, our one week hiatus. I don't even want to talk about last Wednesday night to <laughs> that 24 hour period of my life was uh, 24 hours to wipe from the history books. Just gone forever. Just a day. Just the day. Gone. But the but, uh, the semesters in the books now, right? It is in the books. I Good am deal. now halfway done with my master's here at the marvelous, wonderful University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Yeah, uh, it's big time, man. Get you some. Uh, you're you're D one now. You know, I don't I don't know I don't know if you're gonna rep UNG after uh, after having this uh, master's from Tennessee. I think that I think that's what your ultimate goal is. You're gonna just you're gonna leave all the Nighthawks, uh, you know, in in the rear view. Incorrect. I have uh, a UNG crew neck that I wear quite often. I have a UNG alumni sticker on my car. Oh, man, that 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 tops me, man. See? No, I'm proud of where I went to undergrad. I just don't oh. want to forget where you, I don't I just don't want you to forget the little people when you when you make it to the big time, you know. Mhm. I won't. I look, part of I'm not going to lie. 
like 33% of the reason that I'm in the sports podcasting game is that I will replace Nesbitt um, on the Nesbitt building on UNG's campus. Huh. I think you're going to have to donate a couple dollars to make that happen. Do I have to donate or do I just have to be on like first take three times? Oh, I'm sure you got, I'm sure everyone who's got a name on a building has donated a whole bunch of money. You think so? I think that's I think that's pretty much how it works. So it's not one of those things where Dr. Marker just is like, you know, he's our most famous alum <laughs> and he's in the communication department. We gotta go ahead and uh put it we gotta hey, I mean that's a that's a legitimate goal for you because I mean who is who is the most famous UNG alum? Like I honestly don't even know. I don't know anyone that's like an actor or something or like uh, anyone who made it to the major leagues or anything. I don't, I don't know. So you might, you might be able to strive for that. I think that's very much on the cards for me. And maybe for you, Matt Green. (laughs) Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? We don't know where this podcast will spiral into. Um, But we have a lot of controversial stuff that we need to talk about this evening, Matt. Um, I want to start because the transfer stuff is still happening. The portal's still jumping. Tennessee just lost another cornerback who has dipped his toes into the portal, dipped them out, put them back in. He's gone. Um, he's actually from your state of Georgia. I think he might end up back at UGA. We'll have to see what happens there because you, you need some depth. Um, but let's start with Jamison Williams because we didn't record last week. And I will. let's just go ahead and group him and Henry Toa Toa who also ended up at Alabama since the last time you recorded. Um, what do you make, first on Toto, what do you make of his fit, replacing Dylan Moses, um, and really just his importance on defense with him and Christian Harris? I mean, the fit is perfect, right? It's like Alabama had a need, and you fill him with a a guy, a proven SEC, all-SEC caliber linebacker. Like, it's... It's like not even fair, you know. It's like they're already recruiting at the highest level of anyone else, and that's I think that's what people are missing about the transfer portal. It's like I think some people thought it was going to be kind of an equalizer, like oh, you know, these these teams that recruit all these big time players, they're not going to be able to hang on to them. They're going to transfer somewhere, but it's a double edged sword. It's like as soon as one of these big time programs has an opening, a proven player is going to see Alabama as an upgrade over his current situation. So. The rich get richer. It seems to happen in, in every single rule change that uh, that occurs in, in college football. But that's there's nothing you can really do about it. Uh, it's it's a great situation. I'm sure it'll come in. And it's like how how weird is that is that Tennessee Alabama game going to be? Because Henry Toto, I mean, he was he was the fan favorite on Tennessee's team, right? I mean, I think he was the one guy that was like this dude's legit. Other than um, Eric Gray, but obviously he's gone too. Eric Gray is just going to be way more, way more unfortunate for me. Um, the Oklahoma stuff is just more. I think Oklahoma got the the premier, premier Tennessee talent. They got three big ones and Morris and Gray. And I, I forgot the one off the top of my head, but um, Gray is probably going to be like he had a, by all accounts, a great spring. And they're really excited to, to use him in that Oklahoma offense. He's going to have to share time with Kennedy Brooks, though, um, who opted out last year. Um, so he'll be back in the fold for the Sooners. So I'm interested to see how they divvy up carries and opportunities but he's just so good in space and he's such a good receiver out of the backfield that i don't know man he's he's gonna be really really good uh for the sooners and i you know Toto, oh, yeah, he's like, gonna be perfect he is and toa toa is gonna be awesome 
But, you know, I don't think it's the thing about Bama now is it's it's really not about their defense anymore. And Saban will tell you that too. It's like, yeah, it's cool, but Dylan Moses coming back for the tide last year did not push them over the top. Bama's defense got cooked by Ole Miss. They got cooked by a lot of schools. It wasn't like they were uh, the premier, premier Alabama defensive team that we've seen in years past. Um, they weren't, but I mean, they were still one of the best defenses in the SEC, if, if not the best in the SEC last year. I mean, they were 13th nationally and in, mm-hmm. in scoring defense. So it's like, it wasn't they're They just weren't the dominant team that Alabama has been in the past, but like their, their defense still got plenty of stops. And, and as far as I'm concerned, Toa Toa is, is a better player than Dylan Moses. Like, I think it's, pretty telling for a player of that caliber coming out of high school to go undrafted. Yeah. I wonder how much of it was injury stuff though. I, um, that's probably played a big role. Yeah. Well, Jameson Williams also went to Alabama from Ohio state. And I thought this quote from Saban was interesting where he said, these guys all got to prove themselves. I think speed kills on the football field and on the highway. I love to have speed guys. We have some big guys, but we've got to get some speed guys too. This is where Saban's at, where he can pick and choose and be super niche about the guys he wants. And, I mean, it looks like John Mechie is still going to be the number one uh, this fall for the Tide. But, like, he he knows what he likes. And I think he has a profile. Like, he knows what kind of linebacker he wants now. He knows what kind of corner he wants now. He knows what kind of edge rusher he wants now. He knows what kind of offensive lineman he wants now. Um, I think that's super interesting, and it seems like Alabama knows – yeah, we're just going to keep getting Jalen Waddles. We're going to keep getting Jamison Williams. We're going to keep going after the guys who just lesser competition just can't keep up with because they're just too dang fast. Yeah, I um, I thought it was a strange transfer. You know, when I when I first heard about it, because it's like you're not you're not getting the the playing time you want at, at Ohio State, so you go to Alabama. Like it felt like uh, it felt like Mitch Mustaine years ago to throw it back you remember mitch mustaine obviously right you could forget like you're you get beat out as a star at arkansas so you transfer to usc like how is this how is this a good idea you know and i think he ended up like one one more career start uh his entire time in college but obviously alabama lost a lot on their receiving core but I mean, I mean, so maybe the opportunity is there to step in, but they also signed, you know, four of the top ten receivers in the country coming out last year as a in the twenty twenty one class. So I'm I'm sure he's a he's a great player. Like we saw what he did against Clemson, but you know, we still still haven't seen a lot from Jameson Williams in in college. I think what like fifteen career catches in his uh, in his first two years in college. So it was a it was an interesting interesting transfer but uh but yeah i mean the guy the guy appears to have the speed that deep threat ability and if he can just what we've seen in alabama's receivers in recent years like uh you know who knows what how high the uh how high the ceiling could be yeah i uh i think he's in good hands i think uh, pam is gonna be fine on that front um a position that i don't know is gonna be fine and i'm very curious to get your perspective on this matt is We've talked about the defensive line at Georgia, and I think the linebacking core and I think the defensive line are going to be strong. I think Georgia's defense is going to be strong, but they are losing a lot in the secondary, and it's a lot of production. There's a lot of talent back there, but there's also a lot of question marks. So from your perspective, Matt, how would you how would you look at the cornerback depth after Stokes and Campbell? Um 
what you think of Amir Speed and just like what what do you make of their secondary right now? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of concern in the secondary for Georgia because, I mean, not only was it Stokes and Campbell, but also Mark Webb uh, in the star. He he uh, he got drafted as well. And then Tyreek Stevenson, who also played a lot of star, is transferring to Miami. So I, I think that the story on him is that he wanted to play corner. I think the only game he actually played corner at Georgia was that final uh, game against Cincinnati, which he had a pass break up to, uh, to, to seal the win there. But um, – so I guess he wanted to be closer to home, start at corner, and uh, yeah, and it opens up a lot of, it makes a lot of question marks for Georgia's defense. But um, yeah, like you mentioned, Amir Speed, you know, he's a, a huge corner, I think 6'3", like 200 pounds. He's uh, been there three, four years at this point. He could be the guy to step in. I think uh, Keely Ringo is definitely a name you hear a lot. He's number one ranked corner in the country. Uh, missed all of last year with a with a shoulder injury, and then Jalen Kimber was also a true freshman last year. They're the other two you hear a lot about, and then Nylon Green was a a borderline five star uh, true freshman uh, that they signed in this twenty twenty one class. So there's a lot of talent for Georgia, and then I think the biggest uh, difference maker uh, is going to be Tyke Smith, the transfer from West Virginia. So he's going to be the one that fills out that star spot. And then on top of the corners, you got Richard LeCount also graduated. So out of those, you know, the top six guys that play at corner or at a, in the secondary you essentially have one returning for Georgia. So that's, that's pretty big, but also Chris Smith with, after uh, Richard LeCount's injury, I mean, he started the second half of the season at a, at free safety. So he could be the, the solid option there, but but yeah, I think all hands are on deck, and that's that's another reason why it was so strange for uh, for Tyreek Stevenson to transfer when when the opportunity for playing time is clearly wide open. But I think I think when you're when you're looking at Georgia, like the the front seven is pretty loaded. Like I think it's going to be maybe the best defensive line in the country. They're loaded at the linebacker position, even though they lost a couple guys there too. But um, I think that, I think that's just. The, if I was a Georgia fan, which I am, I would be the most confident because this is what Kirby Smart does, right? The the secondary, the defense, that's his specialty. So it's kind of like, you know, Florida losing Kyle Trask and and fans just being confident that Dan Mullen is going to get the most out of Emory Jones. I kind of think that's how you should take the same approach to Georgia's secondary. Like, you look at the, the team that went to the national championship. You had – uh, oh, I'm – blanking on names right now dominic sanders uh aaron davis malcolm Parrish. you had none of the starter oh and then um Jared reed was one of the starters so of all the starters on that nash team that went to the national championship one of those guys was an nfl player so and you still got elite production from the secondary so i think i think that's pretty big in terms of georgia georgia's expectation for the secondary and i mean if the, like we've said like, like Nick Saban himself has said, the defense is not how you win championships anymore. I, I, I personally don't agree with that 100%. I think maybe the offense is the reason those teams are running championships, but we haven't seen a team other than maybe LSU that's really that's won a championship without having a, a, a great defense. Like Alabama had a very good defense last year. You saw Ohio State and Clemson the year before. Like these are great defenses year in and year out. So. I think it's a little overrated, I, I guess, the how it's just a strictly an offensive game now. I think the defense is still very important. you got to get some stops. But um, 
I think if, if Georgia's offense is uh, is as explosive as people anticipate, then it might not matter as much uh, in the secondary, especially if the guys can make some plays. You know, maybe they'll give up some big plays, but also make some big plays. So I'm curious to see how it works out. Yeah, and I mean, your new defensive back coach, like this is an exciting moment for him too, right? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, West Virginia had the number one uh, pass defense in the country last year. So, and then Tyke Smith. I mean, Tyke Smith is definitely the the biggest like saving grace for for Georgia's secondary for all the experience that they're losing. Like to have such a a reliable player in the star like that. I think I think he's really going to solidify the secondary. But obviously, they still got to find two corners, two starting guys on the outside. So. I'm not convinced it's Amir Speed. It could be. He's just the guy with the most experience. But if I if I had to bet who's the corners by the by the season end, I think I think you'll see two redshirt freshmen and Keely Ringo and Jalen Kimber. Interesting. Well, let's get into our way too early uh thinking in terms of the twenty twenty one Heisman odds. Um two four seven has the updated rankings right now based on Vegas. Uh, William Hill Sportsbook, I believe, is the one where they use for this particular article. Um, I think it's fascinating to see going into the season where people are and like, uh, just look at some odds. And if you're looking to, you know, get on one of these guys early, thinking about uh, who would who make a lot of sense here. A lot of quarterbacks. You're not going to believe this, Matt. A lot of quarterbacks highlighting this list. Um, and it's the Heisman now. Like you should probably bet on a high, like a quarterback, especially this year. The idea of two seasons in a row in today's college football game uh, not having a Heisman quarterback in back-to-back years seems very, very unlikely. Uh, so you don't see Devonte Smith as uh, breaking a barrier or anything, gonna set the tone for non-quarterbacks moving forward? No, I think it was an outlier. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> well, when you look at these odds, I feel like. The one that sticks out, I mean, as as a, I don't know, maybe a, a cynical Georgia fan, I just, I see the odds of JT Daniels and I'm like, it's a bad bet. Like, Georgia just doesn't, like, run up the score and, like, just pad stats like they need to to get a guy to win the Heisman. It just doesn't ever seem like they will, they'll do it. Maybe maybe this is different with JT Daniels, you know, but, the, the, but seeing him at plus 1,200, like, I just... Yeah, the odds, I guess, are fine, but um, I just I don't feel like JT Daniels is going to win the Heisman. But I think the worst bet among these like top these top ones is is Sam Howell. I think Sam Howell mm-hmm. could easily be the best quarterback in college football next year. Like, and be the number one pick in the draft for all I know. Like, but I just he's not going to win the Heisman. We we've, we've seen him before more than a quarterback award, it's a team award. Like, you have to be a top five team mm-hmm. to to take. If you're not on a top five team, you just have to be so just like unequivocally like spectacular like a, a guy like a lamar jackson or just like a, a tim tebow putting up numbers on like a nine and fourteen, you know robert griffin the third like that's what it takes to put up a heisman caliber season if your team isn't actually in the contention for the national title so obviously i think i think uh spencer rattler is is probably the best bet at this point but obviously it's 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 the best odds at this point too I'm with you on Sam Howell. I also just think if you're betting the plus fifteen hundred on Howell now, you're betting on North Carolina beating Clemson. Like that's what you're betting on, and that is um, mm, that's a bad bet. <laughs> that's a bad bet. Even though they did obviously play them really well 
but until it happens, I'm just not betting against Clemson. Because DJ Ugalehi is uh, number two in these odds. Spencer Rattler, we should mention, is number one. He is the Heisman favorite, which really shouldn't be surprising, right? No, not at all. But what do you think about Bryce Young being third? I think that's a little too soon. But then again, it's I like think, a lot I of think it's guys just for win. betting purpose. Yeah, I think it's for betting because it's like it that you know Alabama is going to be in the top five at the end of the day, and if and if he has a good season, he's going to be right there. I just I don't know what to make of Bryce Young. Like I feel like everyone's we're anointing him like oh he's the guy, and like is he going to be ready from day one to just be a superstar? Like I don't know. My favorite of this list that I would actually bet not a crazy amount, but a pretty hefty amount would be Matt Coral. Why is that? Plus 3,500. And I think Ole Miss's offense is only going to be better. Like he was, you want like what you talked about with the RG three type numbers, like the crazy, crazy stats. Lane Kiffin is going to run up the score. He's going to go down losing 63 to 56. Like Ole Miss just has to go like nine and three. 10 and 2 maybe for him to get serious. But that's that's a that's a pretty outlandish expectation for Ole Miss to think they could even sniff 10 and 2 next year. Like I that man completed 70% of his passes last year. Oh, I mean Matt Matt Corral, I mean he's had a he's a dynamic player, but he also he threw a lot of picks last year. I just I could see I remember like Quincy Carter was a was a high He only threw 9 9 picks last year. Maybe just throw them all in the, in the two games, but mm-hmm. but uh, I remember like Quincy Carter was a Heisman, you know, Heisman hopeful his his last year at Georgia and like the the second game of the season he threw like six interceptions and I was like and and it's gone. <laughs> it's like I just I, I feel like like I said I think it's more of a team award. Like I'm I'm with you on the plus thirty five hundred. Like those if you just want to roll the dice, he's gonna put up some big time numbers. But I think. If you're gonna do it on a on a team that's not a contender, I think you have to have those rushing numbers too. You had, you just have to be so dynamic, making those highlight reel type plays. And while he might have some rushing production, like he's not gonna be making highlight reel runs, you know, like like an RG three or somebody like that. I don't like that Mackenzie Milton's on this list. Stop betting on Mackenzie Milton. Stop putting expectations. He hasn't played football in two years. It's amazing that he's ever playing football again. I just want to be healthy. I want him to be fun. I, I, it kind of concerns me, the amount of hype that's already surrounding him. He might not even start, by the way. Like, he is not, like, Norvell has not hinted that he has passed Jordan Travis as the uh, starter in Tallahassee yet. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a, a long shot for sure. I wouldn't, I would not advise people to put their money on McKenzie Milton. Yeah. Um, like, if you're going to go with a long shot, like a, a Bijan Robinson or something, like, Maybe just a running back could have a a two thousand yard season or something, and he could he could get up there. But like I would put it on a different position before I put it on a guy like Mackenzie Milton or, or Matt Corral, because I feel like if you're a quarterback, you just almost have to have the team success. Um, did you read the Chris Peterson article by Bruce Feldman in the Athletic? I did. What do you think? I thought it was really really insightful. I thought this was an amazing back and forth conversation. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I I thought it was funny that he doesn't like the term burnt out, mm-hmm. but I feel like everything he described described someone who was burnt out. Like you just you needed that work life balance, like you just the grind of just recruiting no off season and just it never ends. Like 
it, it felt like exactly like what I think was someone was burnt out. I guess his definition of burnt out was a little different than mine. Like, like he, his definition was, was what more like he didn't work hard enough or something right. like that. I don't think he, he, yeah, he just didn't like, I don't think that's what, burnt, that's not what, that's what he was. Yeah, it's exactly what he was. But, and I thought it was, it was interesting him talking with, uh, with Paul Hackett telling him he should have never left UC Davis. Like that was, that was interesting. And I had no idea the, about the coaches that have come through UC Davis. I was, I was completely unaware of that. I came away. He's just a really thoughtful guy. And I, I understand where he's coming from. Like he was very open. Like Bruce got a lot out of him and just, I, his, like he felt guilty about how burnt out he was and these guys. And I thought it was also illuminating that he was like, yeah, I mean, I could have gone back to UC Davis, but I think I'd still find the same problems and him just going from Boise to the reason he took the Washington job was because he thought he would fix his problems. And he had the same burnout problems that he felt at Washington, that he felt at Boise. He just said it basically sped up at UW. Yeah. And that's interesting to me because I feel like if you, you had to have known, like he had to have known after years, like a decade of Boise State, that he wasn't a big fan of recruiting, right? Mm-hmm. Like he had to already know that about himself. So you had to think, if you're going to a Power 5 school, the recruiting is only going to get amped up. Like like Boise State's the place to be if you're if you're not a big recruiting guy. You know, you've essentially established a, a mid-major powerhouse, for lack of a better term, and like it recruits itself, you know, it's like, you're not, you're not going to compete with the, the five stars. Like they're not going to, they're not coming to Boise state, but clearly you don't need them at the level you're at, you know? So that seemed like the, the perfect place for him to be. And I, and I guess at this point you can't just, you can't just press undo. You can't just go back to Boise state, but it sounds like that's what he needs to do. Like, but it, honestly, from, from what it sounded like, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like he has interest, any interest in coaching again. No, I think that's gone. It certainly seems like, um, certainly seems like it. Um, the regression candidates by SI.com. I thought this was interesting. Um, they have Notre Dame, Indiana, Florida as their three biggest candidates of those three, Matt Green, which do you think is the most likely to regress? Um, I think Florida is, is an easy answer just because of everything they lost from last season. And then you add, most likely an, a better LSU team this year on from the West and Alabama to their schedule. Like, I think it's easy to say that they're not going to be in the SEC championship. And essentially that that's the definition of a regression, I guess, you know, that that's the standard. They made the SEC championship. If they're not there, it's regression. Mm-hmm. But um, I thought it was interesting that Indiana made this list just because I guess we're still, we're not so sure about, you know, Michael Penix Jr.'s health, but it sounds more like they just anticipate, or whoever wrote this story, just anticipates the the Big Ten East just being better than it was a year ago. And if it's better, then Indiana is not going to be as good. And on top of the fact, can I also bring up, they did not beat Penn State last year. I'm still, I'm still, they didn't beat them. Like, Michael Penix Jr. was short when he reached for the, the pylon. Like, so their biggest win of the season, honestly, was questionable so i could easily see indiana taking a step back and then notre dame too you got uh ian book i mean he's after seven years in college he and book's finally gone and i just i'm not a believer in in jack cohen if that's cohen cone is that i think it's cohen but i could be wrong 
He's been away for a year. He did not play. So yeah, I thought those were three. I thought those were three good ones. If I was making the list, I probably wouldn't have included Indiana. But I, after reading the rationale, like I kind of understand putting them on here. See, I would go one Notre Dame. I'm not a cone guy, and the fact that he hasn't beaten out Drew Pine yet is pretty concerning. Um, and that's not anything against Drew Pine, but it just seems like Notre Dame and Brian Kelly is always going to prefer. The, the veteran over um, the alternative. I don't think they want to go young with Pine yet. So I think that's kind of kind of strange. But um, also they just think they had the perfect kind of season for them last year. Um, I think Florida's going to be fine. I, I'm actually really excited about Emory Jones. I think Emory Jones can be really good. I don't think he's going to be Cal Trask good, but regression, I, I would still probably pick Florida to win the East this year. As of right now, I would still probably probably pick Florida. But, really? Uh, mm-hmm. As of right now. As of right now. That's interesting. But Indiana, like Michael Penix Jr. is really good. And he played behind one of the worst offensive lines in college football last year. And he still almost beat Ohio State. Like that dude, if his knees are fine, because I think he's torn two ACLs in college. Like if they're fine, then I think uh, the Hoosiers will be fine. Well, I think another aspect of Indiana, too, is the schedule. Like, mm. opening up at Iowa, then you have Cincinnati week three, and then they, they're also at uh, Penn State, at Michigan next year, and obviously uh, you still got to play Ohio State, too. So, But that's not really a regression to me. Like, that doesn't mean their team's going to be worse. It just means their schedule's going to be more difficult. Like, I don't Well, think it's tough. Like- you go six and two, and then the next year you go eight and four in a 12-game season, and then it's like that that's that has to be regression right but that's 12 and 0 if you're an indiana fan to me <laughs> you go eight, oh, and, four eight and four is definitely a solid season so i guess i know what you're saying and i guess at, from the same standpoint of florida like they're they had a, a two loss regular season last year like it's if it's a if it's a three loss regular season it's by definition regression right yeah that's why i think i threw notre dame out as number one because i could see them going from like 12 and 0 to like literally like eight and four this year I think yeah, I, the, I think there's the biggest chance of them dropping. Yeah, and they have a very interesting schedule next year. Cincinnati on their schedule as well, and they play Wisconsin in Soldier Field. They got at Florida State to open the season. It'll, that will be, be interesting for them if Milton's North okay. Carolina if Milton's okay, like Notre Dame could be in trouble in Week One. Yeah, for sure. I can't wait for that game. That game's gonna be fun. Um, last thing, Mike Norvell rebuilding florida state through the transfer portal josh heupel's getting on this train a little bit uh shout out to javante payton um as well but they've added more than ten thousand snaps via the transfer portal this cupboard was laid barren and this is also just going to make recruiting stuff so complicated i think right where like how are we going to look at this the four star five star blue chip ratio when we have guys transferring this much like how how are we going to look at this because florida state has basically transformed their program in a way that's almost was impossible 10 years ago but because of the current climate they can pull this off and man does norvell ever sleep to be able to flip this much and hopefully their offensive line is improved but like jermaine johnson we'll we'll see because there's a lot of hype you know jermaine johnson like he it, like he might just be a first rounder after this year at Florida State. Like this dude has all the talent in the world, but um, I think he has an opportunity to really, really break out. 
you have guys like DJ Williams, uh, Jamie Robinson, like a lot of SEC talent, a lot of premier talent that they pulled all across the, the country. And I just, I think it's interesting. I'm in, I'm excited to see how this works for them. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. And Jermaine Johnson, that was another one of those transfers like Tyreek Stevenson that you felt with, with the players Georgia was losing at his position, he was uh, bound for a bigger role next year. So uh, I think his, I remember his dad being on Twitter or something like, uh, complain about the coaches like him like them the way Georgia subs out their linebackers like they mo- like I feel like uh Georgia's linebackers I feel like they had a different a different team out there for every third down like they would just they substitute so much I guess I guess if you're looking for NFL exposure you're not getting enough of it but um I think maybe you saw the writing on the wall guys like Nolan Smith and Adam Anderson could could still potentially be in that rotation and he wants to go somewhere and be the guy and I think I think he's definitely got NFL upside for sure. And then, obviously, you said Mackenzie Milton and uh, and DJ Williams, Jamie Robinson at corner from from South Carolina. There's a, a lot of a lot of solid names uh, to bring in. I, and I, to your point, I don't I don't know what they're going to have to do. At some point, twenty four seven sports is going to have transfer portal recruiting rankings. You know, yeah. we're going to have how many however many guys they brought in, and they are they already recruit uh, have four stars and three star rankings for the transfer portal. So it's like, it, it's a whole nother level of, of evaluation and make, makes people like people that talk college football's jobs a lot harder <laughs> when you, when you just used to be able to go by, Oh, they have these many returning starters and they lost these, this many guys. And if they're, if they're filling them in with, with guys with college experience, then who knows, you could see upgrades at some of these positions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's all I've got tonight, Matt Green. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to add as we wrap up here on this Thursday night? Oh, that's all I got, sir. I uh, can't wait for some college football, man. How how what were we like a hundred and something days away? It's uh, it's too far away. Well, the on the plus side, we're only a few weeks away from doing our summer preview series. Like we have a lot of conferences to hit. We got to start uh, prepping for our conference previews. Those are going to be fun. Good stuff. You uh, you threw a little tease in there with uh, with your Florida and the SEC East. I'm uh, I'm real I'm real interested in that. I watched a lot of Emory Jones tape in the last week. I'll tell you. I mean that's Dan Mullen's bread and butter. You know this is more that, of his kind of guy. Emory Jones has been sitting there. Yeah, I wonder. System. I saw someone had a mock draft that had him going sixth overall the other day, and I'm just. Like maybe Emory Jones is a breakout year, but let's let's pump the brakes now. <laughs> top ten pick over here, like Justin Fields is a top ten pick. Like uh, let's just pump the brakes a little bit. Well, it's also just silly to look at a mock draft a year out. Like no, Joe Burrow wasn't even a first rounder, much less like a third rounder before the season. No, that's true. Overall. Like it's and just, I, it's silly. Honestly, I think half of these these mock drafts you see are just just to get people talking just what what outlandish hot take can i have that uh will go viral yeah uh like ajc with their let's uh announce the death of hawaii legend colt brennan in the most uh trash way possible no kidding they uh they issued an apology and everything which also sucked did you see the revised headline no, what was the revised headline? Just guy, it, it was guy who played Georgia in 2008 Sugar Bowl. They revised it to not person, uh, quarterback who lost to UGA in 2008 Sugar Bowl. 
what? They didn't just say Hawaii quarterback? No. Hawaii quarterback? Like, what? Just say that's his a, name. That's all you got to do. That's a strange That's a strange headline. Again, shout out to the College Football Hall of Fame. I saw on their uh, on their social media that they uh, they put a little Colt Brennan jersey in the in the quad is what the is what they call it. You know those those are familiar with the College Football Hall of Fame. That's what they call it. Uh, that little atrium area when you walk in. But yeah, they, they have a nice little Colt Brennan uh, memorial. That's awesome. Shout out to Colt Brennan, uh, my favorite college quarterback. In my lifetime, that that's that just, your boy, yeah, for sure, out, man. Like, I once I saw that, I had to hit you up. I was like, dude, this is your boy, Cole Brennan, R.I.P. His story is just so sad, and I encourage everybody to read about it and not jump to conclusions. And it's just that car wreck and everything, and it's brutal. Life can change on a dime, Matt Green. Life can change. I'm, I'm surprised the AJC didn't change it to like. Former Washington Redskins quarterback, Colt Brennan. Like, so just something else that, has, that gives you no clue on who we're talking about. Yeah, just because they want you to click it. Because what you want to do is you make sure you get those clicks to announce the passing of other human beings. That's what you got to do. You got to... Like, is that... I mean, that's the whole... The old, uh, the old cliche, right? There's no such thing as bad publicity. Like, is that what they were going for? Like... I don't know. But it, it was like. Gross team who got destroyed by georgia's quarterback mm. died like what a terrible what a terrible idea just oh man garbage and as a side note marcus howard mm. that play that hit he had on uh cole brennan and forced the fumble like one of my favorite plays of all time georgia georgia history like uh that, that was just a that was a very uh, exciting game for georgia but not, not obviously i'm not rubbing, rubbing it in cole brennan's face r.i.p for sure that was a that was a loaded Hawaii team. They're a lot of a lot of fun to watch. What is happening who is the, here? Who is they called them like the Dreadheads or something like that? Do you remember that? No. <laughs> the, they're they're wide receivers. They had like four. Devon or five Bess. Wide Devon Bess was was the best of them. But like mm-hmm. they had like four wide receivers that all had dreads, and they were like that, that they were all about it. Interesting. I don't remember the nickname. I'm not sure. Not they had some kind of nickname. We'll have to we'll have to I'll have to look that up. All right, look it up and send it to me, Matt Green. All right, for that guy down there in Decula, Georgia, Matt Green, for myself up here in Knoxville, Tennessee. That is all I've got, sir. Thank you, as always, for the time. We'll be back next Thursday, and uh, you stay safe out there, my friend. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.